electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to Closing Bell in Progress. I'm Scott Wapner. We are live today from Double Line Capital in Los Angeles. And Jeffrey Gunlock joins me now for a CNBC exclusive interview. It's good to be back here in Los Angeles with you. Indeed. Welcome back. It's been a long time. It has. We continue our streak of, of Fed days with you. Your reaction to the decision when you were with me in June, you said, quote, I don't think the Fed is going to raise rates again. Yet here we are. Yeah, they raised again. And uh, obviously the bond market was way ahead of this. I mean, the warp function, which gives you a probability from the shape of the short and the yield curve was over 99%. And I don't think we've had uh, one me- a meeting really since this all started where there was unanimity of opinion that A, there was going to be a hike, but that, that there wasn't even any debate that it was going to be 25 or 50 so they're obviously slowing down. The yield curve remains inverted. Uh, it de-inverted there in the aftermath of the regional banking problem with SVB. Uh, B, and that was a real recessionary sign. That was a moment where the markets were getting pretty nervous because the recessionary signals really, uh, you get on watch when the yield curve gets very inverted. But as was brought up in some previous guests on uh, your, your network today, it's when it starts to de-invert that you really get worried. And that stopped happening uh, once the, the bank crisis calmed down. So the de-inversion is what you have to, have to look for, and it hasn't really happened. I mean, the, we're back out at about 100 basis points, twos, tens, and uh, we're really inverted from the three-month bill to the, the 10-year treasury. So we're watching for that. We're also watching for the gap between consumers' views of the present uh, start to deteriorate and meet up with sort of the, what they have of the view of the future, which is almost always on the pessimistic side. It's kind of weird. They always think it's going to be a little worse in 12 months. That has started to narrow a little bit, but not, not enough yet. So uh, the other thing that's really important, I think, why I thought that the Fed shouldn't, uh, wouldn't raise rates, and I think they shouldn't have, I kind of agreed with David Kelly, mm-hmm. uh, who was on right before, I think, the statement was, was announced, that they have uh, the right to be uh, and a reason to be careful here. And we've been talking about this the last few appearances I did with you, that inflation is coming down. And you know, the C- headline CPI went from 9.1 to, I mean, people say it's three, but amazingly, it actually has a two handle. If you go to the two decimal points, it's 2.98. And there's big numbers rolling off for uh, the PCE, particularly the core PCE, in the next th- three to four months. It's possible the PCE could go down to a three-handle uh, on the core level, uh, really the, this coming month, because there's a big number rolling off, and that the headline PCE, which nobody really like, talks very much about, but it could go down into the twos uh, fairly soon. So we believe that the inflation rate is uh, pretty much where uh, the Fed should really be happy with where it is right now. You know, I, I did a funny study. I said, how, what is, we, what, we keep getting this rhetoric of the 2% average inflation rate over time. Do you know what the, uh, the core CPI average over the last 20 years per annum? 2.0%. It's exactly there. 
Uh, so we're exactly there. And, and if you took headline CPI and replaced the owner's equivalent rent, which is a big slug of the headline CPI, if you replaced it with uh, actual home price movements uh, from these indices, the CPI would not be 2.98% on the headline. You know what it would be? Zero if you replaced owner's equivalent rent with home price appreciation. So I, I think the Fed uh, should take David Kelly's advice and try not to uh, you know, just be on a pro- programmatic sort of a situation because the data seems to be getting a little bit better. For what, what I hear you saying is that the Fed should declare victory, in a sense, out of this whole thing and go home, that, that they shouldn't hike anymore because they don't need to. I don't think they do. That was kind of my point of view when we spoke last time. So uh, I think, you know, obviously what's really changed a lot is, is psychology. I mean, the stock market, particularly the NASDAQ, is up a ton. But one thing that's interesting, it feels like it's in a nonstop tear, but the, 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 the asset class that actually has the highest return since the last Fed meeting, amazingly, is commodities, the BCOM index, thanks to a lot of the, the surge in, in agriculture. It's up 8%. The NASDAQ's only up 4% uh, since the last Fed meeting. It feels like it's up a lot more, doesn't it? Uh, and I think that because of the tear year-to-date for the NASDAQ, I think there's an opportunity now for p- investors to be more value-oriented. The Dow Jones Industrials is only up 8%. The NASDAQ is up, what, 38 or something like well, this? Well, the Dow's catching up. I, you know, yeah. the Dow's going for its 13th straight day of gains. Every day, every day. But still, I still think there's catch-up there. Um, I think the, the you know, manufacturing prices paid and so forth are looking somewhat encouraging. Also, on the inflation side, Scott, I, I like to talk about uh, certain types of uh, inflation numbers. One of my favorite is import and export prices because they don't have any of these hedonics. They don't have seasonal adjustments. They're just prices. And they were just off the charts a couple of years ago. And that's why I said everyone is way underestimating what's, gonna be, what's coming in inflation. But people don't pay enough attention to this. These are down in the negative double digits now, year over year. The one of them, I can't remember which is which, but one of them's down about 11% or so. One's down 18% or so. That's a real uh, disinflationary type of pressure. So I think that, uh, obviously, if we just zoom out, when we dumped all that money into people's pockets and encouraged them not to work, it was obvious that we were going to have a bulge of economic you know, d- distortions. And one of those, should, everyone should have known, was going to be inflation. And that's still sort of bubbling through the system. One thing that a lot of economists talk about, and I think rightfully so, is M2 is negative year over year. And so when you start with that, you think, wow, inflation's really under, uh, uh, going to be shrinking. Mm-hmm. But one thing that people aren't really paying attention to is the bulge that occurred in 2020 and 2021 is still sort of with, with us. M2 is negative year over year, but the monetary base is still huge. There's still money sloshing around from all that stimulus. But isn't that isn't that then why Powell suggests and he did again today that recession is not his base case, that the cushion was so big, as you rightfully point out now, going in, that it can provide enough cushion on the backside as inflation, as you also said, is coming down. Yeah. Why does there have to be a bad ending? Well, I just feel like uh, just historical patterns, when you have inverted yield curves and you have credit conditions tightening, uh, I, I just think it almost always just leads to some sort of a, a, a catalyst occurs and you start to realize why the bond market is sussing out you know, this inverted yield curve and, and all other stuff. 
But I think uh, you, would, you, need, you need some sort of a shock to the system, and that hasn't been happening. Uh, the, uh, it, it felt really bad earlier this year, but uh, things have really calmed down. The bond market yields uh, in the Treasury market are the same as they were at year end. They're the same as they were last September. They haven't changed at all. And that's led to a, a calming effect on psychology because the volatility of the bond market was such a, a, a stomach turner Turner last year, and it led to bad returns everywhere. But the bond market's been completely well behaved this year. Uh, returns are not terribly high. If you go down in credit, you've, you've got good returns. Triple C corporates, which I don't really ever invest in heavily, but they're up double digits. Uh, junk bonds, bank loans are up seven, eight percent. I mean, it's pretty good, and it's done. It's uh, done it with not a lot of volatility, uh, except for that window of the uh, regional banking crisis that scared everybody. Let me bring in our Steve Leisman, uh, who was in the room, as you saw, asked the very first question. Steve, you heard uh, Jeffrey Gundlach, and he's not the only one suggesting that the, the Fed shouldn't have gone today, that they shouldn't do any more because they don't need to. It's not exactly the tone you got out of Chair Powell today. No. No, Powell is uh, keeping all of these meetings live. He wants you to believe that there is still the possibility of a rate hike. He's not ready to say that inflation has been vanquished or that the Fed's job is done. Maybe we'll just listen to what he said about the possibility of a hike in September. I would say it is certainly possible that we would raise funds again at the September meeting if the data warranted. And I would also say it's possible that we would choose to hold steady at that meeting. We're going to be making careful assessments, as I said, meeting by meeting. Um, and I'll close by saying we've raised the federal funds rate now by 525 basis points since March 2022. Monetary policy, we believe, is restrictive and is putting downward pressure on economic activity and inflation. Scott, Scott, there, there's a bit of a game going on here. Let me see if I can explain it. I'm interested in what Jeff thinks about it. I'm thinking about uh, uh, Powell like a jockey on a horse that's well known as a closer. And he's hanging back on the reins. He does not want that horse to run, at least not yet, because he does not want the market to believe that either the Fed is on a long-term pause or that it's eventually going to be cutting rates anytime soon. It doesn't want to have a dramatic loosening of financial conditions because it doesn't feel like he's really vanquished inflation just yet. So I think the reason why these quarter points hang out there, not that they're incredibly consequential necessarily by themselves on a nominal basis for tightening financial conditions, but they do, I believe, keep the market from running. And I think that hangs a bit like an anvil over the head of the market, the idea that you could get another quarter point down the road. Jeffrey, what's your reaction to that? I, I agree with that. I, I, I think that uh, today's meeting I would characterize as being as bland as you can possibly get in, in, in that basically the answer to every single question is data dependency, which makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, the the two-year yield has, has not gone to new highs. The 10-year yield is lower than it was a year ago or about the same as it was a year ago. And so uh, I think the Fed uh, should be data dependent and... They, they don't have a preconceived conception, it's quite clear to me. And I certainly agree, though, that they don't want to uh, loosen f financial conditions. And, but financial conditions have loosened, if you look at some of these uh, indicators. And it's largely because, like, the VIX index is down. It's that volatility is down. That's what's really, that's one of the biggest drivers of why financial conditions are looser. So they actually are pretty loose, uh, if you look at, at, at those, uh, those charts. Uh, and I do, I do agree that the Fed wouldn't want 
to uh, get a more overvalued, say, S&P 500 with a big, a big running of the horse, as Steve uses the analogy. Because the S&P 500 is, I mean, people are expecting earnings to go up by you know, 10% or so uh, next year. But if they don't, if they only go up by half of that, you're looking at a pretty high PE, uh, on, even on a forward basis of probably 21, 22 times. And that's kind of a lot. And uh, a lot of this is driven, of course, by almost a mania type of feeling with, you know, that, that burst of, of the AI, the, the acceleration of the AI stocks, which reminds me a lot of the dot-com situation. I mean, it might end up being an excellent moneymaker, just like the dot-com stuff, if you hold, held on to it, uh, went to new highs, and some did super, super well. But uh, it's got that, that feeling of, uh, of a chase going on. Steve, you know, You've got a good handle on uh, reading the room, I guess, as they say, and, and you know you know the chair uh, well enough, uh, I think, at this point, and certainly how to read him, and in, in not only his language, his body language, et cetera. Do you think that this was the last move in in this cycle? <laughs> I, I, I thought you were going to ask me if you think he was going to go to another Dead & Company concert. I could have answered that question a little more easily. Um, he might. I don't. <laughs> he might. He might. I don't, I, I, I don't think he's necessarily done yet. I think he's got a committee, Scott, and the committee was committed, uh, not committed. They, they have strongly forecast that second hike in there. Um, they may yet do it, but if the data does turn dramatically the other way um, and, and, and some of the numbers that Jeff was talking about become reality, a 2% handle on maybe a headline PCE, that would be a very big deal. And you could see what, what would, I think, happen is I don't think Powell wants his committee to fray. And there would be, if there was enough data, another month of data, Friday, by the way, is a very important day. We get another round of PCE data. Um, and then the next one after that's going to be important. The idea that if you get a couple of these in a row, Scott, remember, they were burned badly in January. And I think this was very instructive for Powell. You know, not only was the February data lousy, but they went back and revised the November, December, January data that showed that improvement. So he's going to be cautious here. If you do get a couple good ones in a row, I think he likes this period. Uh, I wouldn't say he's going to move in September. I feel pretty confident he wants to, if, do, if he does anything, do it in every other meeting basis, even though he wouldn't commit to that. I think that's where he, how, how, that's how he wants to do things. But I think he comes back, um, and if the data supports it in November, he would do it if you remain, as he keeps saying, far above target. If you're still on a 4 or 5% core number, I think he'll hike again, if you ask me. I do want to say one other thing about his, his sense he does seem pretty confident and feel pretty good about the outcome here of being able to bring down inflation pretty sharply and not have a big negative effect on the job market. I think he feels pretty good and pretty confident and feeling pretty successful about the idea of this soft landing, Scott. Steve, I really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. I love the engagement of you and Jeffrey as well. And I, I want to continue that, too, uh, when we visit with you guys on, on Fed Days. Thank you, Steve Leisman. Look, you, you guys don't think that Powell's going to pull this off. I mean, your deputy thinks we're going to have a deeper recession and that the Fed's going to have to cut 100 basis points well, I in think, one fell swoop. I think what Sherman was saying there is just simply observing that, and I think this was David Kelly again, he said they, they uh, take the escalator in, in bring rates up and they take the elevator on bringing rates down. I just think that the, the pattern of this economy has been that when something happens, exogenous shock, that all of a sudden there's a radical rethink of the economic situation. 
And the history has been some pretty aggressive rate cuts when those, those problems occur. And I'm wondering about the housing market, um, which has really baffled everybody because you would have thought with mortgage rates going up by, you know, 500 basis points or 450 anyway, you'd have thought with the home prices up so much and the mortgage rates up so much that the housing trend would have weakened as it started to. But amazingly, they've gone up four months in a row. And the drawdown on the, the average median home price is almost non-existent again. We're almost near where we were. And so the reason that's happening, though, is because there's a huge bid-ass spread that's going on. The sellers are reluctant to sell unless they get a really high price that they, they have in their mind because they've got this mortgage at 3%. And what are they going to do if they sell their house? I mean, the, their mortgage is one of their most valuable assets, actually. You can, you can, actually, you can actually have your 3% mortgage and in T-bills. Just put money in T-bills and you get a, an arbitrage spread there of about 250 basis points. So the sellers are in a good, uh, the, the owners are in a good situation, but the buyers, they have to, they have to confront the seven and a quarter mortgage rate on the, on the 30-year bank rate as well. And, you know, the, their, their, their wages have been going up, which is good, but this recent uh, move back up in housing prices is sort of problematic. I wonder at what point we're going to start seeing a shrinkage of uh, jobs in the real estate market, uh, because obviously uh, this gap is creating what I call the bid-ass spread, if you will, on, on, on the home transactions. There's almost no activity at all. So uh, you, this data could be highly misleading as a forward-looking indicator, because there's so few transactions that if there was a reason that would create catalyst for selling, I think that there could be a lot of, of uh, downward movement in those markets that have gone up a lot. At what point do you say, you know what, I'll be darned, they actually pulled it off. They actually pulled off a, a, a soft landing. They, they were able to crush inflation okay. without crushing the economy. If, if we get the twos ten spread to be uh, 100, 150 basis points and inflation uh, is at, at a two handle and not a zero handle, which is... One thing that I still think is plausible here, uh, th then, you know, I, I think if that happened, you would say that we're in a normal situation again and they pulled it off. But Powell has maybe learned from his big mistake of transitory inflation because that, that's a real egg on the face sort of a thing. I mean, they thought it was going to stop at around four and it went to nine on the headline CPI. I think he's learned from that, but I think he needs to focus again on the fact that maybe he's making a, an echo of that that mistake. Maybe inflation is going to go lower with these import-export import prices, uh, with you know the balance sheet reduction, some of this. I, I'm not really worried about inflation in the short term at all. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. 
That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's the best play then right now for you? You still like the long end? I have the long end. Uh, long bond uh, has not done much this year. It feels like it's been a lot of volatility, but it's only, it's only up a few percentage points. I still like for the short term, and this is something that you have to be careful with, because if the economy rolls over, you've got you've to be dancing near the door. But I like the double B bank loan sector still. Their floating rate, their coupon just went up another 25 basis points today. They're cranking out returns in the first half of this year of about 8%. I don't like the lower tier of that, of that uh, asset class because the interest rates risk is so high and the, the yields they have to pay above the Fed funds rate or so far are so high that I think there's really growing default risk. And I think that's one of the stories that's going to be coming uh, that may make it so that they can't say that they pulled it off is the default rates could very well be going up as lend- lending standards are tightening. And that, that is something that I think is in prospect for the next, I don't know, six to 12 months. I, I still like the asset class, particularly the double B category at the present moment. The cash flow is, uh, is really, really high compared to where it, where it was even just 18 months ago. You think rates have peaked? We're looking at treasuries right there on the screen. Uh, 483 is where the two-year is today. Yeah, I, I said, uh, Scott, when we were down in, in Orange County back last September at an event, I said, I think eight rates of the tenure's already peaked. And I was right. Uh, the, that's the, t- the tenure has, has been very, very calm and is not, not even that, it's fairly far below where its peak was. I mean, it's about 50, 40, 40, 50 basis points below. And even the two-year treasury has peaked. Uh, with the Fed raising rates, you know, since the uh, regional bank crisis, it hasn't put the two-year into any sort of form of distress. So, yeah, I think rates have peaked. I'm completely comfortable owning treasuries. Uh, I, I say I like these, these bank loans, the higher quality bank loans. Um, I think the dollar has uh, started its weakening trend. We see that with the commodity price bump. I don't mind commodities that much now with the dollar weakening. And I think uh, there's a good opportunity for emerging market debt investment that, unfortunately, uh, I think uh, is a little bit late because the spreads have tightened so much. We're down to only about 415 basis points on a basket of EM. And, and the, the average spread has come in a, a fair amount, but what's really come in is the, the low, the dregs, the triple C categories, thanks to the stock market going up so much, particularly the NASDAQ, from about February or so March on, I guess, um, there's been a, a, a little bit of a rush to uh, lower credit and grabbing at yield and stuff like that. You still like India? I do. It's, uh, it's doing okay this year. Uh, it's not up as much as the United States, but that's a long, long-term play. I think the demographic setup there and the need for political and legal reform uh, is very acute because they need to deal with the same, same type of demographic bulge that China was faced with about 30 years ago. And you know what happened to China? Their GDP went up 10 times or more over that time period. And now they they've went from 10% of the US GDP to 75 or 80. I think that that's gonna happen in India. And so uh, I've been invested there for a long time and I just would put that in a, a core portfolio and just don't worry about it because it's a long-term play for your, you know, your grandchildren's college fund. When do we get the first rate cut, do you think? I think the first rate cut will come uh, next year, I think, we'll get it. Uh, I, I think it will be 
encouraged by a drop in, ultimately, a drop in two-year yields. And uh, I think the steepening yield curve there and the lower inflation rate is a big part of that. I, I think, I think we're, we're going to see 2% inflation in, the, like, the, the PCE. I don't know about the core PCE exa- uh, it being quite that low, maybe at a three number. I think, the core C- I think CPI is going to be living in a two-handle. And I think we're going to get there in a few months. And I think we're going to stay there. I mean, who knows? I mean, oil prices go to 200 or something. All bets are off. But I, I think it can stay there. And uh, that's why I think the Fed, what you said, I mean, I think, I think they, they, they sort of have a little bit of a mission accomplished mindset, or at least they're entertaining that idea. They're, they're, they're playing with it. Because this meeting was a lot different than a couple meetings ago, where there was dissensions and is it 25, is it 50? And not, now it's just unanimous. 25, data-dependent, data-dependent, data-dependent. And I think the data is not going to be supportive of uh, more rate hikes. I mean, he's still fixated on the core, as he said today, which, which he suggested is still too elevated. Yeah, to the PCE core, but that's coming down. There's, there's 1.8% that's rolling off in the next, like, four months or so, and it could, be, it could drop another percent. So that, 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 that number could definitely be in the threes, in below three and a half this year, before the end of the year. And I, I think that if you have the core PCE in the below three and a half and you have the, the, the headline CPI at two and a quarter, which is our base case based upon today's commodity complex, I, don't, I just don't, I don't, don't think there's uh, any reason to hike at all. I mean, he still suggests that it's, it's just way too elevated and that it's going to be more sticky perhaps than, than people... That's would suggest. What, that's why I say I think he's doing an echo of his transitory mistake. I, I, I just think it was so obvious that inflation was going to go up much higher than the Fed thought in 2022. And everything that we're looking at, we, we think it's going to be a, a, the trend remains in place for this, these lower inflation prints. And I think, I think Jay Powell is just a little afraid to buy into that because if, if it doesn't happen, he's got a problem. But I think it's going to happen. Well, also, the, you have to take into consideration, too, I think what Leesman in some respects suggested, and maybe you did as well, words versus action. Right? They have to talk the way they are. He yeah. has to say the things yeah. he is saying on days like today. Whether the actions follow the words remains the but central question. That's right. But nobody's even pushing back uh, in, this, in this present moment, this present environment that the Fed just says, we might raise, we might cut, we're data dependent. Uh, the market is completely accepting of that. And I think that's... Well, don't you want that? Uh, Why wouldn't you want that? I'm not saying saying it's a bad thing. And I think that's why the stock market went up so much in the middle of this year, is I I, I think that they were were being being increasingly calmed that we're slowing the the pace, right? We went from 75 to 50 to 25 to nothing, and now we're 25. I mean, the trend is fairly obvious here. And so, and the market, the market moves ahead. I mean, it, it discounts. It's, it's amazing. Uh, last March, everybody thought the, the bears, it was like all-time bearish readings. And, you know, we have a big rally, and now everybody's feeling comfortable again and kind of Fed's feeling good. But, you know, things don't stay uh, stable in, indefinitely. It's just, been a, it's just sort of been a good run of economic statistics. We will make that the last word, and we will look forward to speaking with you in September. September it is. Yes, we have uh, two, two job reports, two rounds of inflation reports, And I think they're going to be such that the Fed won't be raising rates. But I was wrong last time. So uh, I'm wrong uh, 30% of the time. So 
don't 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 uh, hold me to everything I say. All right. Well, you'd be in the Hall of Fame if you were a baseball player. So yeah. I appreciate you having us back. Thanks, Judge. We'll look forward to the next one. All right. That's Jeffrey Gunlock. By the way, Dow's up uh, about 40 or so points, as I suggested at the top, going for its 13th straight day of gains. That'd be the longest streak since 1987. To the results of right our before tw- the crash. Yeah, believe me, people here 87, they get nervous. They get nervous. If it, goes to, if it gets 14 days in a row, by the way, I think you've got to go back to 18-something. But we'll, we'll, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Right. Again, Jeffrey Gundlach having us here at Double Line. The results of our uh, poll coming up, we asked followers, was today's Fed rate hike uh, the final one? And the majority of you said no. It was close, but the majority of you said no. Up next, we'll talk to New Edge's Cameron Dawson. We'll get her first take on the hike what she thinks Powell's next move might be, and most importantly, what it could mean to your money. Plus, we're setting you up for the big earnings in overtime. Meta and Chipotle still set to hit the tape in a few moments. We'll break down the key themes you need to watch there. We'll do that, of course, in the Market Zone. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. We're now in the closing bell market zone. New Edge Wealth's Cameron Dawson here with her reaction to the Fed decision. These crucial moments into the close. Plus, we do have two key earnings reports coming out in overtime. Julia Borston on what to expect from Meta and Kay Rogers with what to watch for uh, with Chipotle. Cameron, begin with you. Was this the last move by the Fed, the last hike? Well, as you heard from Powell, it is still very data dependent, which just means that if we do get a hot inflation print sometime in the next couple of months, then it may not be the last hike. But if the current trajectory in inflation continues, then yes, it is the last hike. We don't think that the Fed wants to take a victory lap on inflation just yet. As Steve Leisman talked about a bit today, that they've been so burned by calling disinflation too soon, which just means that this will remain a market that's hypersensitive to income inflation data and probably hypersensitive to good data coming in from a growth perspective, meaning we could still be in this good news for the economy is bad news for markets. Well, what happens now to the rally? Because the market certainly doesn't seem to be uh, upset by what it what it heard today. Either the, the bond market and the stock market might suggest that this was the last one. Yeah, and what we've seen this year is that the Fed hasn't mattered for markets really at all. We've seen the pricing for the terminal rate go up quite significantly through the course of the year, and we've seen the push out of the start of interest rate cuts, and yet we've seen market valuations continue to expand. You have the S&P up 40% or 20% in its PE valuation, NASDAQ up 40%, which just tells you that the pricing of the Fed's expectations this year really has not mattered for markets. And really what matters more is positioning becoming deeply underweight, moving to be more overweight, things like AI boosting optimism. So really, it is a question for going into 2024 if the Fed, if we continue to push out the start of cuts, if that will matter at all for markets. It remains to be seen. But I mean, you've been pretty cautious, right? And, and too cautious, I think you, you, you would have to admit at this point, are, are you starting to come more positive on the market? 
Well, we have been cautious in the sense that we haven't been expecting the big lead in some of the more speculative parts of the market to be the leaders, as they have this year. You can see things like meme stocks up 70 percent. We weren't expecting that with a Fed that was continuing to remain tight. Now, we've stayed invested through 2022 and into 2023 by focusing on quality, focusing on those names that we want to own for the long run. The question for us is then where do we find value in adding new capital today? Back at the beginning of June, we started talking about how the equal weight index was actually really cheap if you looked compared to the cap weighted index, which was being boosted by just a couple of tech names. So we still find value in pockets of this market. We remain valuation disciplined because we are long-term investors. And that's where we look to things like value, maybe not focusing as much on financials and equal weight in order to put new capital to work. Yeah, well, speaking of tech, uh, Meta is going to report in overtime tonight. Julia Borston, what should we expect? Well, investors are hoping Meta will accelerate its revenue growth after the stock's 147% gains this year, with 83% of analysts still rating the stock a buy. Now, the social giant has been struggling with the same ad market weakness the whole industry has seen, but Meta has the advantage of massive scale and new revenue drivers, including better monetization of reels and also AI as a tool to improve ad targeting and measurement. Analysts are expecting the company to grow revenue about 8% in the quarter, accelerated from 3% revenue growth in the prior quarter. Meanwhile, thanks to cost-cutting, earnings are expected to grow 18.5%. There are some other key issues to watch, including, of course, threads, with the question of whether it's held on to the users after its big launch. And after YouTube reported 4.4% advertising growth and Google had better-than-expected results, a number of analysts do expect Meta to follow suit. Back over to you, Scott. Yeah, Cameron, I mean, is there any reason to believe that this trade is not going to continue to, to work? You know, we, we got some numbers yesterday from some of the mega caps. We're going to get this now. We've got Apple and uh, Amazon coming next week, too. Yeah, I think that what we've seen so far is that strength in other parts of the market haven't been coming at the expense of leadership and tech names. Maybe there's some consolidation, digesting of recent moves to be had, mostly because we have seen so much valuation expansion. But if earnings deliver, then the trade can continue. What encourages us the most is what we're seeing outside of just the tech names. Look at names like Union Pacific and Boeing today in the cyclical industrials. It's likely that we start to see industrial activities start to recover and re accelerate, which just points to a continued broadening out of the market, which then if you look again, that supports that equal weight look of things where you aren't paying top dollar, top valuation, and you can continue to see a bit of a catch up trade and rotation. Well, we'll have another closely watched earnings report uh, in overtime as well. Julia Borston, thank you very much. Kate Rogers to you now on Chipotle. Scott, analysts are looking for $12.31 adjusted on revenues of $2.52 billion for the second quarter. Same store sales, an important metric, projected to increase 7.5%, according to FactSet. A few key things will be of note this quarter. Commodity inflation, and if it's cooled at all for Chipotle, which has two high-price items featured heavily on its menu in beef and avocados. Any color on consumer sentiment will also be notable. Chipotle's been able to really hang on to consumers and even grow traffic in the face of higher prices over the last 
last year and CEO Brian Nickel has long touted the brand's pricing power and there's been really little resistance there from customers and finally more details on its international expansion plans. We reported last week that Chipotle signed its first franchise partner in the Middle East. So any details on what might come next will be of note. Remember, this is one of the best performing names in the restaurant sector year to date, up about 50% so far. Back over to you. All right, Kate Rogers, thank you very much. We'll see what the numbers are. Cameron, the consumer's been hanging in for how long, I suppose, is the question. Yeah, I mean, I think that the consumer will continue to spend as long as they have jobs. So as long as the labor market remains tight, we can see resilient consumer spending. Interesting, what we've been seeing this earnings season is a little bit of pushback against higher prices. You heard from folks like Kimberly Clark or Danone that they're raising prices. They're raising prices at about 8%, but it is starting to come at the expense of volume. So if that continues, maybe we see a slowing in price gains. But overall, the consumer is healthy because they have jobs. Yes, we're seeing an uptick in defaults in consumer loans. However, it's just getting back to pre-pandemic levels. So we think we have a fair amount to go before we get to a point where the consumer, from a balance sheet perspective or an income perspective, really gets pinched. we got about two minutes to go before the close. Dow is still positive again, going for its 13th straight day of gains, something it has not done since 1987. And on that note... You know, Cameron, it's been carried a bit by these lagging sectors. I'm wondering if you think we're going to see a continued catch-up trade from some of those more cyclical and lagging areas of the market, like financials, maybe energy. You tell me. Yeah, I think that is the story for the second half of the year, which is that as we start to continue to see this better economic growth, that you should see cyclical sectors do better. You should see things like energy move higher, oil prices move higher, if we truly are averting the recession, which was feared in the first half of the year. We also know that we have had a big flow of positioning into tech and out of these cyclical areas like energy, which just means that as we see that positioning kind of get offside towards growth tech, there is an opportunity for a rebalance, repositioning, and that catch-up trade to continue. Yeah, I mean, the things like the transports have done really well. They've been trading near, near a high. That, that broadening out of the market has people feeling a lot better uh, about where the market is as it's continued its gains. It hasn't been just technology. Yeah, that, that is very supportive of the rally continuing. And what we would look It's so, it's so loud on the floor, I can't even tell if Cameron has stopped talking or not, so I'm just going to take it. Cameron Dawson, thank you very much. The Dow uh, ramping a little bit uh, into the close. It's going to get its uh, 13th straight day of gains again. Uh, that's the longest streak since 1987. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.